when Igor Sikorsky was 12, his parents told him that competent authorities had already pr proved human flight impossible. He went on to build the first helicopter. In his American plant, he posted this sign. According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. Nehemiah probably would have loved such a sign because it shows that there were people in Igor's life who was telling him that he couldn't do something. And he paid no mind to it. You can't do this, Igor. You just, you can't do this. In some sense, it was opposition, in some sense, telling him he couldn't do something, but he paid no attention to it at all. Nehemiah, of course, could identify with that. He understood firsthand that whenever you try to accomplish anything significantly for the Lord, you're going to face strong opposition. That is true. If we're doing a work for Jesus in this world, at some point, you're going to face opposition. If you're successful in doing the work of Jesus in this world, you're going to face opposition. There's no way around it. And the passage that's going to illustrate that for us is this chapter of Nehemiah, who's been given the task to rebuild the wall. This is a work of God that was placed in the heart of Nehemiah. And we saw last week that Nehemiah, as a successful leader, was able to get God's people to commit themselves to do a good work for God. We didn't look in chapter 3. We skipped over chapter 3. And in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, that's when the work begins. Now we pick up the story in chapter 4, and the work is ongoing. They're doing the work, the Jewish people, God's people, are doing the work that God has called them to do. They are being faithful, they're diligent, they're doing the work of God. And then all of a sudden, opposition comes. And the book of Nehemiah is all about leadership. Nehemiah was a successful leader in getting people to commit themselves to do a good work. Now we're going to see how he's successful in getting God's people to overcome opposition to the work that God has called them to. And since we are God's people, and he has given the church an assignment, and has given all of us as individual believers an assignment, we need to know how to overcome opposition when we're doing the work of God in this world. Nehemiah, as a leader, shows how he was successful as a leader in doing so. So, how do leaders successfully lead God's people in overcoming opposition to the work that God has called them to? Number one, they will be prayerful 
in the midst of ridicule. Prayerful in the midst of ridicule. Verses 1 to 5. As the Jewish people are doing the work, it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. He ridiculed them. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? They're weak. Will they fortify themselves? Will they actually take on this task to protect themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Do they think by offering up prayers to God and worshiping him that somehow God is going to work on their behalf to accomplish this work? Do you think God's going to listen to them? Will they complete the work in a day? Do they understand all that's involved in the task? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Do they really think they're going to get the job done with the materials that they're using? You can't build a wall with stones that have been burned. It won't be strong enough. They're mocking the Jewish people and their work. Tobiah picks up on what Sanballat hadn't said and said in verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Their wall will be so flimsy that if an animal's paw touches it, it's going to crumble. Complete mockery of their work. And notice that they're talking amongst themselves. They're angry, but they don't want to show it. And what do they do? They talk with people who have the same belief as they do, and so they start talking to make themselves feel better. Watch what Nehemiah does as a response. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Don't, do not cover, do not forgive their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. If you have a different translation, the last sentence of that last verse says this in the NRSV, they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. The NIV says they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Or the NASB says they have demoralized the builders. What they were doing, the Jewish people, what these Sanballat and all the, and and Tobiah were doing, they were mocking the Jewish people and their work in earshot of them. Nehemiah knows this. He knows this is going to get to them. Why would this affect the Jewish people so? Because some of the things that their mockery statements that were made are true. The Jewish people were feeble. They were weak. They just, many of them just came back from captivity. Those who stayed in Jerusalem during the captivity were poor, weak people. If you are sensitive to areas in your life and people mock it, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to strike a chord in your heart and it's going to play a, have a psychological effect on you. And you begin to question, do I have what it takes to do this? Do I have the ability to do what God is calling me to do? I am weak. Even what I do is really going to have, what impact is it going to have in this large world in which I live? You start questioning yourself. And that was the purpose. Why? So that the work will stop. Nehemiah knows this. 
Now, if you remember in chapter 2, verse 19, when Nehemiah ended up getting the people to commit themselves to do a good work, he was mocked by Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab. And what was his response? He said, we're going to do the work anyway. He didn't respond with ridicule. He just simply focuses on the task at hand. Now we see the ridicule is more intense. We know this because of how much space is given to the actual words of those who are ridiculing and Nehemiah's prayer and response. And Nehemiah knows that the people are going to be dejected in the face of ridicule. And so he takes it to prayer to God. What else can you do when you're being ridiculed for something that you're being faithful to God for? You don't want to respond in like manner. So what you do is you take it to God. And he lets his heart out to God. This is so human. His prayer is similar to what they call an imprecatory psalm in the book of Psalms. Are you familiar with imprecatory psalms? Imprecatory psalms are cursed psalms. These are individuals who are crying out to God, asking God that God would uh, uh, wreak vengeance on their enemies because their enemies are dealing with them unjustly. And so they want God to act and take vengeance on those people. And that's what he's praying here for. Send them into a land of captivity. We're your people, and we were disobedient, and we didn't trust you. And so you sent us into a land of captivity. They're not your people. They're criticizing us for doing your work. Let them go into captivity. You say, well, that's not really Christian, is it? And that's where people have an issue with such psalms or prayer requests. Well, this is really ungodly of Nehemiah. Is it? What the book of Psalms are often, they reveal the intense, authentic response of people who are hurting and suffering. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He understands that these people who are called to do God's work are being insulted for doing God's work. And what he's saying is, God, you need to do something, not for our sake, but for your sake, because this is your honor and your work that's being called into question and is being made fun of. So what are you going to do about it, Lord? I'm crying out to you. Help. This is what Nehemiah does in the face of ridicule. When we are ridiculed for doing the work of God, the correct response of leaders in particular, because they're leaders of godly people, is to respond in prayer and let your heart be made known to God. Whenever you face ridicule, you don't have, we get faced ridicule just for being a believer, let alone doing the work that God has called us to do. But the correct response when facing opposition, when we are doing the work of God and you're facing ridicule and it touches the heart, cry out to him. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. It is the first thing that Nehemiah does when he is facing opposition to the work that God is calling them to do. Let your heart go. God, it's not, listen, if you're angry, it's okay to be angry and let God know it. You're not going to change him. It's better doing that than taking your anger out on another individual, right? Whose words are going to affect if we were to ridicule them in response. Our words will matter to them and it will affect them. It will change them. 
And it will also change their perception of us as well if we use words that are very hurtful. Nehemiah plays it safe. He goes to the Lord in prayer. It's the first thing he does. We shouldn't be surprised that mocking is the very first thing that people will do to try to keep people from doing the work of God. Jesus faced it himself, did he not? When Jesus was on the cross, it says in Matthew 27, 41 to 43, it says this, in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking Jesus and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he did say, I am the son of God. Mock. Now, if Jesus, who is doing the work of God on the cross and redeeming fallen humanity to himself, if he's going to be mocked by religious leaders, do we think that if we're faithful to God doing his work that we won't receive criticism or ridicule in this day and age? Of course we will. It will happen. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's the first way he responds to ridicule. Number two. Leaders that are successful in leading God's people in overcoming opposition to the work that God has called them to will take all threats directed against them seriously and express their faith by taking action. Verses 6 through 9. So we built the wall. They continued working in spite of the ridicule. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now what happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Here we see they're doing the work of God. They're continuing in spite of the ridicule, in spite of the mockery. They're going to go forward with the work that God has called them to do. They're going to be faithful. You see that the enemies here have grown, right? And they make threats. They are going to come and attack Jerusalem, they said, and create confusion. Were they actually going to do that or not? We don't know. It could have just been threats. There was no way to know whether or not they were going to carry out their threat or not. And this threat came from all sides. Tobiah, the Sanballat, was the governor of Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem. So the enemies resided to the north. You had the Arabs were to the south of Jerusalem. The Ammonites were to the east of Jerusalem. And the Ashdodites were to the west of Jerusalem. They were completely surrounded by the enemy. And their attack would have been coming from all sides. The threat was real. Were they going to follow up on it or not? We don't know. But Nehemiah wasn't going to take any chances. So what does he do? He prays. And then he takes action by setting a guard night and day. I wonder if people, when he was setting a guard night and day, if anyone said to him, 
Nehemiah, why are you doing that? Why are you setting a guard? That's a lack of faith. You just prayed that God would protect you. So then why would you then take action? Because some would argue by taking action, somehow it is showing or revealing a lack of trust in the God in whom you just prayed to. Some will argue that, especially when you understand he had the support of the king. Artaxerxes was the one who gave him permission to go and build the walls. Why would you feel you need a guard? Surely Nehemiah would understand that they would never, ever come and attack the walls and attack the people when they had permission from the king to build, to build the walls, right? But Nehemiah took all threats seriously. And he wasn't going to leave anything to chance. So he made sure, took action, because that's what faith will do, is take action and put guards on the wall to ensure that the people were safe. This would allow, they, by doing this, he puts people in the right places so that the enemy could see them. And now the enemy knows that they can't surprise attack them anymore and cause them to think twice about attacking the walls in Jerusalem. It was Nehemiah's faith that put those guards there. He took action. As I think about this, we live in a time of a pandemic. And it has the potential to limit or cause the work of God to stop. It has the potential for it. it was, it's, is it not a threat? Is the pandemic a real threat to people? It is a threat. It comes from all sides. No one's immune. And when the pandemic first came out, churches had to make decisions on whether or not they should remain closed or open. Churches, by and large, for the most part, took the wise course of action, took the threat seriously. We don't know... Um, we don't know when it first came out how real it was. Was this hyped by the media? Is this being overplayed by some? Just like Nehemiah didn't know if the threats against them were going to be real and executed, today we face a threat in the pandemic and people will question and argue whether or not how real it actually is, how hyped up it is or not. Leaders didn't take the threat successful leaders will take the threat seriously and take in a, a course of action because there were people who questioned whether or not closing churches were the right thing to do. It shows a lack of faith. No. Successful leaders take threats to God's people and to the work of God seriously and take action. That demonstrates faith. This is what Nehemiah did. We closed the churches down because it was the right thing to do in protecting the people. 
who are doing the work of God. Just because, you know, some people would say, again, you know, close the church down, it's a lack of faith. Those who are faithful will stand on faith alone and we won't have to do anything. We just trust God to protect us. That's presumption. Nehemiah doesn't do that here. He never for one moment assumed that because they had the protection and the backing of the king, he didn't have the responsibility of taking the, the appropriate actions in safeguarding the people. And we need to do the same today. I guess the rub would be this. What actions are the appropriate actions? That's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where, that's where it becomes difficult. In Nehemiah's time, it would look like this. Was everybody content with the actions that Nehemiah took when he placed people along the wall and set a guard day and night? How many people guarded the wall? One, 10, 15? Were people in Nehemiah's community content with the actions that Nehemiah took? Did they feel safe with the actions that Nehemiah took? Or did they feel that Nehemiah needed to do more? Did they, question that he, did they question whether or not he put the people at the right places in the wall? The text doesn't go there. That's not the point of the text. But these are issues that we have to deal with as we wrestle through and try to navigate through how we handle rightly the decisions that we make in the midst of a pandemic and doing God's work. But the point of this passage is this. True faith doesn't just simply trust God and do nothing. It takes action. Faith is always going to be evidenced by the choices and the actions that we make. Nehemiah is a perfect example of that. Okay? So leaders that are successful in leading God's people in overcoming opposition to the work that God has called them to will take threats directed against them seriously and will express their faith by taking action and not come up with an excuse by saying, well, if you really had faith, you would just simply trust God and not do nothing. No, that's not faith. Okay? Thirdly, leaders that are successful in leading God's people in overcoming opposition to the work God has called them to will find ways to motivate the workers when they are demoralized, disheartened, and discouraged in the midst of their work. Verses 10 to 14. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us who were working at, in Jerusalem building the walls, they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Do you see what's happening here? They're working, they're working, they're facing ridicule, they're facing constant threats, and now they're halfway through the work and they're realizing, man, it doesn't seem like we did anything. There's so much rubbish here, we're never going to get this job done. So you, their effect, the effect of all this, this ridicule and the threats is now working in them psychologically, internally, and now they're starting to question whether or not they can even finish the job. And this constant bombardment, as we see in verses uh, 11 and 12, that the threat was constant. They're demoralized, and they, don't want, they want to give up. 
Have you ever been there when you're doing work? <laughs> it becomes so overwhelming. I remember when I was in, uh, back home in Massachusetts back in 2011, we had a hurricane, uh, a tornado rip through the community. And I remember uh, we were, I was at a, uh, my home church, and at that time we would go around the neighborhood and help people clean up their, their yards that was just filled with debris and trees. And I remember coming to one house in particular, there were trees everywhere. I mean, it was, it was like a tornado ripped through the, their, their backyard. And a bunch of people came, to, her, came to, their, to their yard to clean it up, and they came out of their house. And she was crying because she saw that we were coming out to, to help them. And she says, you know, me and my husband and some relatives were going to come clean out our yard. But we saw all the work that we had to do, and it was like, where do we begin? And we got so discouraged, we didn't even bother. We didn't know what we were going to do. And so when these people came by, some strangers serving at a church to help their yard, they were just, they, they were overcome with emotion. But that's where they were at. There was, there was so much work to do. They were completely demoralized. Successful leaders will motivate them to keep going. How does Nehemiah do that? Verse 13, he placed them alongside other family members. Therefore, I positioned men behind the, the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. He knows the people are discouraged. And so in those days, when you were going to fight a battle, they fought within their family. The clans and families of ancient Israel fought together. You know why? Because you'd be highly motivated to do so when you're fighting along those sides whom you love and whom you care. If you're at home and someone broke into your house and your children and your grandchildren are there, are you going to fight furiously to defend them? You most certainly are. That's what's happening here. Nehemiah knows this. One of the things he does to get them re-energized and motivated is to get them alongside people that are near and dear to them. It's a way of inspiring them and encouraging them. Next, he gives them a motivational speech that altered their perspective in verse 14. He says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. What he's doing is he's altering their perspective, getting their mind away from the discouragement, from the work, from the attacks, the threats, the ridicules, and he's shifting their perspective and says, wait a minute, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Do you know why you're doing it for? I remember uh, a person called, his name was Eddie Hall. He's the world's strongest man, and he had as a goal to lift a half a ton. He deadlifted it. Deadlifting is an exercise where you literally just take the bar off the ground and just lift it up. And he lifted 1,100 pounds. Someone asked him a question, how, did you, how, did you, how were you able to do that? What was your mindset? He says, you know what I did? I envisioned that my wife and my child were underneath the car or underneath the weight and I had to lift it up to save them. Once again... Mindset, perspective, when you realize what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you're doing it with people that you care and love, 
you're going to be more excited and more likely to to be re-energized to do the work that God wants you to do. And thirdly, he gave him a break from doing the work. Verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God has brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Evidently, they stopped doing the work. One way to re-energize and reinvigorate, uh, I'm not even going to, I can't say that. Re-energize yourself <laughs> is to give people a break from doing the work. Take time off. Get away. Nehemiah understood that. So what he does to re-energize the people and to boost their morale was to get them near people that they cared about. Give them a motivational speech that reorients their, their perspective, why they're doing the work, who they're doing it for. And he gives them some time off. That's important. Especially for leaders, you need to know your people and, and know when it's time to take a break. Okay? That's how he does this. Remember, they're on the cusp of quitting. This is what he does to get them going again in the middle of the work. Remember, they had built the wall halfway up. Okay? Now, from this point on, in the midst of the work, these are the things that Nehemiah does from this point on until the wall is built. Okay? They seem to have overcome the, the opposition to the work, and now this is what they do from this point on. Leaders that are successful in leading God's people and overcoming opposition to the work that God has called them to will ensure that the people are armed for battle while they're doing the work. They're prepared for conflict. Verses 16 to 18. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind the house of Judah overseeing everything. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. In Hebrew, it's related to the term missile. In all likelihood, these were individuals who were working on the outside of the wall where they were more susceptible to an attack. So they were most likely carrying baskets of rocks and stones and rubbish away from the wall in one hand and carrying a stone or a rock in the other to defend themselves. Verse 18, every one of the builders had, at his, had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. They were armed and prepared for conflict. Those who were working, the actual masons, would actually have to uh, use both hands as they worked. So they had to have their sword on their side. But they had their weapons at the ready. We live in a time of intense spiritual conflict in the days in which we live. And if we're going to be successful going forward in the work that called us to, has called us to, we have to be prepared for conflict and arm ourselves. Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says what? Put on the whole armor of God while you're doing the work of the kingdom. You pray it on you every day. Put, and I got to do a better job of this myself. 
Put on the armor of God every single day. It's to be put on. This is not a metaphor. It's metaphorically speaking, but it actually goes on your spiritual person. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth. May I stand firm in the truth of your word so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. May I guard my heart from evil so I will remain pure and holy, protected of the blood of Jesus Christ. I put on the shoes of peace. May I stand firm in the good news of the gospel so your peace will shine through me and pay a light to all I encounter. I take the shield of faith. May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of death doubt, denial, and deceit, so I'll not be vulnerable to spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May my mind keep my focus on you, so I'll not uh, let the enemy uh, get into my mind. Armor, put it on you. We need to be armed and prepared for the conflict that will inevitably come as Christians. Leaders that are successful in getting people to overcome opposition will ensure that they are armed. Have the word of God, the sword of the spirit at your side. Next, leaders that are successful in leading God's people in overcoming opposition to the work God has called them to will give them godly encouragement in the midst of their work. They will rally the people together and give them godly encouragement in the midst of their work. Verses 19 and 20. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Here they are working on the wall, separated from one another. Whenever danger came, they blew the trumpet, they would assemble together, and there they would be together, and they would receive the godly encouragement that would be needed for them to continue to go on doing the work. Okay? In a time of a pandemic, that coming together may look a little differently. Maybe we have to go in the parking lot, and I have to preach out in the parking lot, and we're in our cars. However that's going to look like, that's what we need to do. Successful leaders are aware that in times of danger, they will call God's people together and come together and give them a word of encouragement, godly counsel when the time is needed. That's what leaders will do. And finally, leaders that are successful in leading God's people in overcoming opposition to the work God has called them to will remain committed to the work that God has called them to. They will remain committed, verses 21 to 23. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. That last sentence and that last verse has been very difficult to translate because in the Hebrew it says, each his weapon, the water. So some translations, instead of saying, instead of saying that everyone took off their clothes for washing, some translations will say each took his own weapon even to the water or each kept his own weapon even to the water. 
Each kept his weapon in his right hand. One translation, the NIV says it this way, each had his weapon even when he went for water. The point is this, is that the people were committed to do the work which was evident by the long hours and the sacrifices that they made in order to keep the work going. And if leaders are successful, they will lead God's people in overcoming the opposition by keeping the people committed to the work that they've already begun. And, that, and, and he did so by being an example. He was an example. He didn't just tell the people what to do. He did it himself and would not ask others to do something that he himself would not do. And that's leadership. This is what Nehemiah has done in order to overcome opposition to the work that God has called the church to do. Historian Will Durant observed, Rome remained great as long as she had enemies who forced her to unity, to vision, and to heroism. When she had overcome all her enemies, she flourished for a moment and then she began to die. It was opposition that kept Rome strong. If you know Jesus Christ and try to accomplish anything for him, you will and I will experience opposition, especially in leadership. But if we respond as Nehemiah did, we too will find success in the face of opposition and doing the work that God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who keeps on working. And there's nothing and no one that can keep your work from going forward. Though there will be forces that try, whether it's through ridicule, intimidation, mocking, making threats, whether it's because we become weary or tired or fearful, discouraged, disheartened. Uh, Lord, you are faithful. And we pray, Lord, that you will surround us with men and women and with leaders that will help us to do the work that you have called us to do. That we will be faithful and that we will be prayerful in the midst of ridicule. That we will not be afraid to act in the face of threats and taking all threats seriously to your work and to your people. Help us, Lord, to motivate one another to do the work that you have called us to. To be prepared and be armed with your truth so that we can overcome the opposition that is surely going to come our way. Give us, Lord, that opportunity to assemble together, to be encouraged and to, to be uh, to hear your word spoken, to encourage us to continue to do the work that you've called us to do and help us, Lord, to be committed to do so. Give us strength. Give us faith. Give us your vision and a will and a mind to do your work. And we pray that opposition will not keep us from fulfilling that task. And we'll give you all the thanks and the praise that you deserve when we do so. We love you. And we thank you for all that you are 
and for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.